God's word is important to us. But it's an important question for us to understand of why we would believe in what it says to us. We're in this series of messages right now called, That's a Great Question. And we know that we live in a very skeptical world right now where people are trying to figure out whether or not they need God and whether or not Jesus is someone that they need as well. We know that people are having big questions about spirituality. Where do we learn about God, and where do we learn about who Jesus is? Well, one of those places that we learn is from the Bible. And we're going to be learning today about the importance of looking into what it has to say to us to see if it contains within it the truth. Ken Rideout, a missionary in Thailand for over 40 years, had a conversation with some of his students that he was teaching at his school, and one of the young men stood and said, you foreigners travel 12,000 miles to tell us God loves us. God is love. Jesus is God's son, he said. You expect us to believe that Jesus raised the dead, walked on the water, and did other miracles. Yet you tell us that if we do not believe your Jesus, we will die and perish forever, condemned by your God. Yours is just a narrow-minded religion. Our religion is broad. We don't condemn anyone. Another student asked, why do you believe that Jesus is God's son? And Ken answered, the Bible teaches that he is. And the student asked, why do you believe the Bible? That's a great question. If all we do is rely on the Bible for our truth, we might find it difficult to talk to other people about God and their need for Jesus if they don't believe in the Bible. That's the reason why in this series, as we have been thinking about who God is and who Jesus is, we have answered the question of why should I believe in God and why should I believe in Jesus? And yes, we've looked at Scripture But much of what we've done in learning about those two things is logically thinking through why there would be a God that we need and why there is a Savior that we need whose name is Jesus. So that we can talk with people who don't necessarily believe that the Bible is true. With that being said, the Bible is important to us. The Bible, we believe, is true as an important text for us to be able to get information from, not only about who God is and who Jesus is, but who it is that we are and who we're supposed to be. It's a great place for us to learn. In fact, when you look in the Scripture, the Scripture itself tells us that it's reliable and that we can learn from it to learn the practical things of life. And that's where I want to begin today. There was a guy named Paul who was a Christian, who Christ had an encounter with him on the road to Damascus. He was blinded by the light of God, and he came to see who he was and his need for Jesus. And he radically changed his life from going from one who persecuted Jesus to one who spread the good news of Jesus from city to city. Paul had a mentoree. Someone that he was teaching, and his name was Tim. And he was telling him information that was really important about how it is that he was supposed to live, but what it was that he was to trust in as well. And he told them, told him the importance of Scripture. 
And I want to read that to you right now. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to begin reading to you in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. So he's talking about the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, the scriptures point you to the need for our Savior in Jesus. Then he said, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So he was saying we need this scripture for a very good purpose. The scripture is important because the scripture helps us do something. The scriptures help us learn. So on your outline sheet, I want you to write down that statement that the scriptures help us learn. And in fact, within the passage that we just read from the scriptures, we hear some ways in which we learn. One of the ways we learn is from personal experience. So go ahead and write that statement down on your sheet. What that means is, is that we make decisions and we learn from our decisions. We learn from the consequences of our decisions. If we make a wise decision, there are good results, and we learn that we should continue to make wise decisions. But if we make foolish decisions, there are bad results, and we learn we shouldn't make bad decisions. It's all personal. In fact, if my count is right, six times he, he used the word you in the scripture, that Learning is, per, is personal for you, Timothy, but it's personal for us as well. And we learn from our personal experiences. But we also learn from others as people teach us. That's the second thing, second way we learn. Let's write it down on our sheet. We learn through information provided by an instructor. And Paul was an instructor to Timothy, and Timothy knew who he was learning from. In fact, that's exactly what it said in the scripture in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. He knew Paul and he knew that Paul not only taught him how to live, but Paul was a living example of how he was supposed to live. So he listened to him as a faithful instructor. But there's a third way in which we learn that's revealed to us in this passage. It's through the written word. So on your outline, let's write that down. We learn through written instruction. So something's written down, and we read it, and we learn from it, very much like we would learn from a textbook. So we can think about this book called the Bible as a textbook for us, and it's a textbook about life. It's about how we came to life. It's about how we have a life with God, a relationship with Him, and it's about how we are to live our life as people as we do good in this world. That's what this book is about. But yet not everybody believes in this book. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons why is because this book points to the Savior who is Jesus, and we know that there are other people who believe that there are other ways that we come to God other than Jesus. In fact, we know that the Bible is not the only spiritual book that's been written. There are many other spiritual books that in those books tell the story about how it is that they connect with whoever their God is. So they have come up with their own manuscript that backs up their belief system related to what they think and believe about God, which keeps them from believing what the Word of God says. 
That's why it's so important for us when we talk to people who don't believe in the Bible because they know the Bible points to Jesus. They know that about the Scriptures. They've figured that out about it. Before they even listen to the truth about the Scriptures, they have to come to a conclusion that, wait a second, maybe Jesus really is the way that we come to God. If you weren't here last week, that's what we learned in our Easter message about why Jesus logically is the Savior that all of us need, that He's the one that is the answer for all of us. And when we come to discover that, the Scriptures then have great wealth of knowledge for us. Not only supporting that in who Jesus is, but supporting who we are to be as we become people who live our lives like Jesus. We need the instructions from the Word of God. So why would we believe the Bible is true? That's a great question. And I want to give you some reasons why we can believe that. Here is one of those reasons. Number two on your outline sheet is something that we've already talked about a couple of times in this series. It answers the four fundamental questions for us. If we're going to have a spiritual document, we need this document, whatever it is, to answer the fundamental questions that all of us have about life. And what we've learned is that we all have these four fundamental questions. All of us are asking these questions. So how does the Bible answer them? I'm just giving you a very little bitty snippet of how it answers it because it answers it in much greater detail. But I just want to give you some examples about how it answers it. The first question is that origin question, right? Where did we come from? Did we come from God or are we some cosmic accident that happened in the universe as things crashed together or whatever happened to bring us into existence? This is really cool to me because I love how the Bible clears up the very first fundamental question we have with the very first verse of the Bible. How's that sound? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, let's all read the scripture out loud together. Let's read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There you go, okay? It tells us that he created it. Now, I mean, I could just say, let's just trust in what it says. But in the message where I talked about why we should believe in God, I talked about why it logically makes sense that we need a supernatural God to create the universe. We need something separate from nature. Nature is everything that we see around us, everything that is physical that we can see. For something to come into existence out of nothing, there has to be something greater than nature to bring it into existence. And that's where supernature or the supernatural comes from, a power that can bring nature into existence and can control nature. It practically makes sense that we need a God. And the Bible backs up the fact that there is a God and he created everything. Here's a second question that we have. It's the question of meaning. What is my purpose in life? My purpose in life is all about love. I am to love God, and I am to love those people around me. Jesus said this. Let's look at the scripture. Just follow as I read. In Matthew 22, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, as the law and prophets hang on Excuse me, all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. The reason why I misread that is because I spit a lot. And y'all, it just, I couldn't read it. I I couldn't read it. Now I've just totally messed up the whole flow of the message. Okay, so there you go. 
Verse 40, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, everything that God said in giving you commands and everything he inspired the prophets to say is all about these two things, to lead you to love God because he loves you and to love other people the way that God loves us. That's what it's all about. That's our purpose in life. Here's the third question. It's the the morality question. What is the standard for life? In other words, what is right and wrong behavior? We've learned this. Jesus also said this, right? Again, it gets back to that golden rule that we keep hearing about. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets also. Here he is again telling us this is Right behavior. It's right to treat people the way you want to be treated. It's wrong to treat other people the way you wouldn't want to be treated. That's just the way it is of life. It answers the question. And then there's a fourth question about our destiny. The destiny question is there life after death and how do I experience it? Again, Jesus wanted us to have the answer to this. In John chapter 3, we hear that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. In other words, live for eternity. Yes, there's life after death. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In other words, the way we experience life after death is through the Savior, through the Son of God, Jesus, who died on the cross to take the punishment for our sin The sin that has separated us from God. For us to be united with God, sin has to be removed and be forgiven. So some punishment has to be taken for our sin. And Jesus died in the place for our sin. Instead of us dying for our sin, Jesus did it for us. So when we trust in him, we experience eternal life with God. That means forever life with the God who created us. So that's the answer to the question. So we need a book that answers these questions for us, and the Bible does. Why else do we believe that the Bible is true? Let's look at something else. Number three on your outline sheet says the scriptures are inspired by God. God is the one who is speaking to us. We need it to come from Him and not from man. This gets back to the passage that we read earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It said, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That first part of the scripture is important. All scripture is God-breathed. In other words, he said it to us. God spoke to us. So how does God speak to us? Let's write down this statement. This is how he speaks to us. God speaks to us through his spirit. God's Spirit speaks to us. I love what the Life Application Bible says about about this scripture. It says this, The Bible is not a collection of stories, fables, myths, or merely human ideas about God. It is not a human book. Through the Holy Spirit, God revealed His person and plan to certain believers who wrote down His message for His people. This process is known as inspiration. The writers wrote from their own personal, historical, and cultural context. Although they used their own minds, talents, language, and style, they wrote what God wanted them to write. Scripture is completely trustworthy because God is in control of its writing. He inspired them to write what they wrote through His Holy Spirit. In fact, 
in the scripture, in another location, it validates him doing this very thing. Peter wrote this in 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's look at that. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God's Spirit inspired them and spoke to them and helped them know what it was that they were to say. Well, how do we know that the Holy Spirit led them to say what they said? Well, let's write down this statement. It helps us understand this a little bit more, that the Scriptures confirm what we know in our spirit to be true and right. Matthew Henry, who's a theologian and Bible scholar, said that the same Spirit that breathed reason in us breathes revelation to us. In other words, the same Spirit that we have in us that causes us to reason what is right and wrong behavior and what we should do and what we should not do is the same Spirit that is the Spirit of revelation to those who wrote the Scripture. Which means... In the scripture, it can't say that it's, it's righteous to live this type of behavior. And in my spirit, my spirit say, no, it's wrong for us to live that type of behavior. The spirit that inspired God has to be consistent with the spirit that's in me. So when the spirit says, this is the right type of behavior, my spirit knows, yes, that is the right type of behavior. When the spirit through the scripture says, this is the wrong type of behavior, my spirit within me says, you're right. That's exactly right. That is the wrong type of behavior because it's behavior that is not helpful for humanity, for me and for others. It is harmful for humanity, for me and for others. Our spirit confirms what we read in it. Many of the people who want to take and leave things in the scripture really struggle in their life because deep down they really know what they want to be right is not right. They feel it within their spirit. They try their very best to reason and justify why it's okay behavior. But when it gets down to it, it's not the best thing for you. It's not the best thing for your physical life, your emotional life, your spiritual life, your, your emotional life, your social life with other people. And we feel this and sense this deep within our spirit. And if we're honest with ourselves, we understand the truth of what it says. This is why we see, I, I've shared this statistic before, I read this a few years ago, that there are some 30,000 versions of Christianity. How in the world can that possibly be? It's because it's Golden Corral Christianity. You go to the Golden Corral and you put on your plate what you like and you leave in the, in the tray what you don't like. And that's what people do with God. I like that God says this, but I don't like that God says that. And we leave it out. But in truth, deep down our spirit knows what should be there. And it's a full course, my brothers and sisters. It's a full course of what it is that God wants to teach us. 
Here's another reason why. Number four on your outline sheet that the scriptures are consistent from the beginning to the end. And it's consistent in different ways. First of all, historically, West did a beautiful job in his, his presentation of what he shared with us talking about history. And it, it's true about this that you look at the kings that are mentioned in the Bible and it's consistent with the kings that we know actually existed from other historical accounts. There are other events that happen in the Bible that also have some history behind it that are talked about in other documents. One of them may surprise you. It's the flood. The flood that happened, right? With Noah that came and flooded the earth. It's so interesting because many other religions in their religious books also have information about a great flood that at one time happened, which gives historical credency to the fact that some big event like this must have happened because it has to be explained in other people's documents as well. Another example of that is what happened at the crucifixion. When darkness came upon the earth at the crucifixion, it talks about that in the book of Luke, chapter 23, that it was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until about three in the afternoon. There are some other historical documents that actually talk about this event. A historian named Thallius wrote a history of the Eastern Mediterranean world since the Trojan War in AD 52. And he explained this event away as the darkness, as an, as an eclipse of the sun. He called that event an eclipse of the sun. Then we read about it from a guy named Flagan who was a Greek author who wrote this, that there was the greatest eclipse of the sun and that... It became night in the sixth hour of the day, which was noon, so that stars even appeared in the heavens. There was a great earthquake in Bithynia, and many things were overturned in Nicaea. The same event that it talks about in the Bible is talked about in other historical accounts and other places that are not biblical accounts. We also see this related to history. The history relates to when the scripture was penned, in history and how close to the actual writings our copies of the documents are. The scriptures found in the Bible related to the New Testament especially were written closer to the actual events than any other religion in their documents that they have supporting their religions. The historian Edwin Umachi said this, but the fact is that we have better historical documentation for Jesus than for the founder of any other ancient religion. And he went on to say that the scriptures of Buddha, who lived in the 6th century BC, were not put into writing until after the Christian era. And the first biography of Buddha was written in the 1st century AD, which is some 700 years after he lived. Instead, though, the scriptures that we have about Jesus came from those people who were eyewitness accounts of what had happened, not only in history, but also in context. What does that mean? In other words, it cannot say that a behavior is righteous in one part of the Bible and turn around and say that that behavior is wicked in another part of the Bible. The Bible is surprisingly consistent when it talks about human behavior and what we're to do. Also, it cannot say that something is to happen a certain way in one portion of the Scripture and it not happen the way it said it was going to happen in another portion of the Scripture. For example, the coming of the Savior was predicted in the Old Testament. 
In the book of Isaiah, we read about it. In Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It predicts that Jesus would come. His body would be pierced. He would die. And he would die for the sins of humanity. So the Savior who came had to experience those things in his life. And wouldn't you know that Jesus would come and be pierced for our transgressions at the crucifixion with the nails in his hands and his feet, with the thorns of a makeshift crown being put upon his head, and with a spear being thrust in the side of Jesus as he was pierced to his death so that our sins may be forgiven. It's consistent in what it said would happen and what actually happened through the Savior that we needed. What else do we learn? Not only in context and in history, but in witness. What does that mean? This relates to those who wrote the actual books that are in the Bible, who had a personal encounter with Jesus, or who represented those who had this encounter. The people in the early church needed to have a historical account of Jesus within their scriptures. They needed books that they could read that would tell the story of Jesus. We call them the Gospels. So what would they include? This is called the canonization of scriptures. In other words, uh, what is included in the canon of the scripture or the books of the scriptures had to meet certain criteria. So what were those criteria? I'm glad you asked. The book had to be authored by an apostle or representative of an apostle. So it had to be a witness or someone who had knowledge or knew someone who had this first Uh, first eyewitness account experience with him. Secondly, it's this, that the message found in the document had to be consistent with the message of faith through Christ. In other words, Jesus himself said we come into a relationship with God through him, that he is the way to him. So there can't be scriptures that say there are many ways that we come to God. Here is another way in which we re- uh, it has to, to meet the criteria. The document had to be generally accepted and used by the church at large. Why is that? Because there were people who were part of the church at large in the beginning who had experiences with Jesus themselves. Some of these people were still alive and still walking around and they had heard the words of Jesus and they had to say, yes, what is being written is consistent with my own knowledge of what this is to be true about who Jesus is. Not every book that was presented was included in the canon of the scriptures. I'll give you an example of that. There was a book called the Book of Thomas and in the Book of Thomas, it associated Jesus uh, with an idea of spirituality was, which was very closely related to pantheism. I talked about pantheism when I talked about believing in God and the different ways in which people believe in God. One of those ways is pantheism, which is this, that people believe that God is in creation, that God is in the tree and God is in the bird and God is in the grass and all of these things. So they worship the earth. These are are people who, especially from the New Age movement, many people had these beliefs. Within the scripture of the book of Thomas, it made this statement, split wood, I am there, lift up a stone and you will find me, which is very pantheistic in theology. It also 
was very specific about who could have a relationship with God. If you're a woman, you're going to want to hear this. This is what it said in the book of Thomas. Let Mary go away from us because women are not worthy of life. Are you liking it so far? For every woman who makes herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Aren't you glad this is not in the scripture? Why? Because this isn't consistent with what Jesus said. We just read what Jesus said, right? God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Not just males, but males and females. Every person that God created can have a relationship with him. Strong stuff. Here's another reason why we should believe in the scripture. The scriptures are confirmed by other historical documents. Again, Wes made reference to this and in what he had to say in other historical documents. But these historical documents were written by people who were not Christian authors. Let's write that statement down so we can, can distinguish that from other documents. These scriptures are confirmed by non-Christian authors. There was a guy named Gary Habermas who wrote a book uh, several years ago called The Verdict of History. And in that book, he, he documented 39 ancient sources about the life of Jesus, which dealt with over a hundred reported facts concerning Jesus' life, teachings, crucifixion, and resurrection. Those documents were separate from books that are found in the Bible. I'll give you a couple of examples of some of these authors. They're actually on your outline sheet. Here's the first one, Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian who was a Pharisee, and he had interaction and connection with some Christian people and wrote about these people. About the time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he was one who wrought surprising feats and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. When Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing among us, had condemned him to be crucified, those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared to them, restored to life, for the prophets of God prophesied these and countless other miraculous things about him. And the tribe of Christians so called after him has still to this day not disappeared." So he's talking about the actual event of Christ dying, what these people believed about Jesus and his life and resurrection. Here's Tacitus. Tacitus was the most important Roman historian in the first century, and this is what he had to say. Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procreators, Pontius Pilatus. He's talking about the actual historical event of Jesus being crucified by Pontius Pilate. Other historical documents, non-Christian documents, talk about these, which give relevancy to the fact that we believe in what we believe found in the Scripture. What do we learn from these things? Let's write this next statement down. These documents reveal specific information about Jesus and his followers, separate from the scriptures. 
that he was a teacher, that he performed healings and exorcisms, that he was considered to be the Messiah, that he was uh, rejected by Jewish leaders, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, that he, he, his followers believed in his resurrection and were continuing to follow him even though he had been crucified. Why would they do that if he was dead? Right? Yet they were still following after Jesus because they knew of his resurrection. Sixth and final thing, sixth reason why the scripture is important and why we can believe it's true for us. The scriptures have the power to equip us for life. We need a textbook for life, and it's the best textbook that we can have for our lives. Again, this gets back to the original passage that I read to you that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. We spent a whole point talking about that. And is useful for these purposes. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God is useful for some very specific reasons. First reason is it makes us wise. Making us wise by communicating the truth about origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. It answers the four fundamental questions, and we need to know what those answers are. The second is that it teaches us. Teaching us by providing specific instruction on appropriate behavior. It tells us what we are to do. Even in 2 Timothy that we just read, it talked about every good work. That we are to be doing good for other people. That we are to, to serve people, to minister to them in their place of need. Whether it is physical or emotional or mental or social or spiritual. Whatever it may be. It teaches us. This is what we're to do. This is how we're supposed to live our life. To show our love to other people by meeting the needs of other people. Which makes me ask a question. Am I meeting the needs of other people? Because the Bible tells me that's what my life is supposed to be about. Here's a third thing. It rebukes us. Rebuking us by pointing out areas of failure where we do not meet the standard of pure love. In fact... In many scriptures in the Bible, it tells us about sinful behavior and what those sinful behaviors are. And they're sinful because they are harmful to us and they're harmful to other people. We see that sinful behavior and say, it's rebuking me, telling me, I'm not supposed to live this way because if I live this way, it's keeping me from showing God's love to others the way I'm supposed to be loving. I'm serving myself and have become selfish for my own pleasures. And by doing that, I put attention on myself. And when I'm thinking about me, I'm not thinking about others. When I'm doing things for me, many times I'm doing things against others to benefit myself. It rebukes us and shows us and tells us the behaviors that we should not be living by. In many passages, it does so. It also corrects us. Correcting us by defining what must be done to overcome inappropriate behavior. How are we corrected? The Bible tells us in the book of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What am I to do to correct my behavior? I need to confess my sin to God. And I need to be willing to change and to have a change of heart to turn back to God. And in doing so, be trained to be the person that I need to be. That's the last one. Correcting us and training us by giving us examples of those who live correctly. 
that God would bring people into our lives who have overcome our problems that we deal with, who are examples for us about how it is that we're to live our lives to help train us to be the people that God in his textbooks tells us to be so that we can be spreaders of the love of God. So let's end there. Am I spreading the love of God? Because that's what this book teaches me to do. That's what this book is all about. All the scripture and the prophets hang on these two commands. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in this book teaches me to love God and to love people the way God loves me. To make sacrifices for the people who are around me so that they know they matter and that they're valuable to God. Am I doing that? I need to know how to do it. It'd be cool to have a book to teach me, wouldn't it? I need to know when I'm not doing it. It'd be cool to have a book teach me when I'm not doing that. I need to get better because I haven't been doing it. It'd be awesome to have a book to teach me how to do that. (gasps) Aren't you glad we have the Word of God to become the people that God wants us to become? Are you listening to what God is saying to you to become a person of love? We need this book to help us be that. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. It may be today that you don't have a relationship with God. The Bible points to Jesus. We learned so much about that last week, that He is the way that we come to God. And there's a reason why He is the only way, because He is the Savior that we need, that that meets the requirements of a Savior who could take our sins away. And it may be that you're coming to realize that Jesus is the one that you need because as you've read the scripture and if you've heard people talk to you, it's pointing you to him. Today is the day for you to give your life to him. Back in the back to my right, to your left, there's an area, there's some high top tables. There's a place called The Journey Begins. And we have one of our counselors back there. They would love to help you in this decision to give your life to Christ and experience the forgiveness of sins that separate you from him. We would love for you to go back and talk to them, either during the time that we're about to have a prayer in just a moment or right after the service. We'll be back there. We would love to talk to you to help you have this relationship with Him. It might be today that you have some other need in your life. It might be that you need to confess sin before God and that you need a pure heart and a righteous heart to turn to Him. I would encourage you to to be honest with God, that God's speaking to your spirit right now to confirm that what he says in the scripture is righteous behavior is true and what he's saying is unrighteous behavior is also true and you realize you need to change. I know this experience personally as I go through this in my own life as a failed human person who deals with sin and temptation. I get it. I understand it. God's speaking to all of us today about this. And I would encourage you to pray about that. It may be that you need to pray with someone, either about some spiritual thing that you're going through, or it might might be something that has nothing to do with anything that we've talked about today. You just need to have someone to pray with you. 
We have some of our, our staff down in the front uh, today, down in front of the stage area. They'd love to pray for you and to encourage you any way they can. We're about to hear a song, and as we hear this song right now, I want to encourage you to come if God leads you to come, but to pray wherever it is that you may be. Let's all stand right now with no one looking around, and let's talk to God. Let's get personal with Him right now. God, I thank you so much for what you taught us today. I thank you, God, for the confidence that we can have in what you've said to us as your Spirit has spoken to us, not only through written word, God, but what your Spirit says to our hearts. And I pray, God, that we would hear from you today and become the spreaders of your love. God, that we would take this book and it would become the owner's manual for our lives to live out our purpose to function the way we're supposed to, to produce what you created us to produce, and that is compassion for humanity. Lead us to be that for people. Thank you for how you don't leave us hanging, that you give us the information that we need, and may we take it to heart. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and amen.